Hi there, church family. Good to be with you today uh, through our midweek discussion, this podcast that we do each and every week. Uh, And so we're looking forward to diving into the message from this week as we continue our series on worship. Uh, This week, our focus was the question, does God care how we worship him? Because we've already looked at the question, what is worship? We looked at the question, who can worship or who does worship? And then we answered the question, who is it that we worship? And so uh, thinking about God and his holiness and that this is who we come to worship, he's set apart, he's different. Um, I think the next natural question is, does he care then how we approach him in worship, if we are supposed to worship and, and all of this? And the answer, I believe, is yes. Yes, he does. Um And I think everybody would say that. I don't know if anybody would say God doesn't care how we worship him. I think everybody would say, yes, he does. Now, people take this differently, though, as we'll see in the weeks ahead and as we talk more. Um, But I do wonder how often you've actually looked into it. Like, how often have you actually looked into does God care how we worship him and what does that mean? And really took some time to study Because what's interesting to me is there are some Old Testament practices that people will still go to and hang on. There's other Old Testament practices that uh, people would say, oh, no, we don't do that anymore. And they don't have a very good reason for why they will do one and not the other. And so why is it that we don't do some of the Old Testament practices of worship that we see? Uh, Sacrifices, festivals, washings, I don't know, other 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 things that they do. Uh, but then we want to cling to some. And so that's something that's worth studying that you should know, but I don't think many people do. I don't think many people uh, put much time into studying that and practicing that. But then seeing, okay, what Christ has fulfilled and then looking at the New Testament church and doing a study of how does the New Testament church worship? Does God give us stuff in Scripture in the New Testament that point us to realities that we should be living by today when we worship him privately with our family, but also publicly as we gather together uh, to worship as the church. Is there some things that God has laid down for us that we should follow? And I didn't press this too much yesterday. I talked about it, I think, more in the sermon before about God's holiness. But when we think about who God is, he's the creator of all things. He's the one who's designed everything. He alone is worthy of worship. He's made us in his image to bear his image. What makes us think then that we maybe have a say in how we then can worship him? You know, what is it about us that says that? Because there's a lot of people, I think, who think that way. There's a lot of um, uh, even churches who function that way, who might say, you know, You do what feels right to you when you worship God. Who am I to tell you how to worship God? And it's like, "Mm, is that really how you would approach like a sovereign? You know, you think today, actually today, as we record this, was the funeral for the Queen of England, who was the queen for a very long time. And it's an interesting thing, I think, for us Americans to watch because it's so out of our realm and Mm -hmm. out of our norm. (laughs) You said realm. (laughs) (laughs) But to watch the pomp, to watch the pageantry, but to watch how it's planned out and decided, it'd be crazy. You know, know, the, the people of England don't have the right to be like, I want to go see the queen now. 
Mm-hmm. Okay? No. Mm-hmm. No. You can't do that. Right? Right. There's an order to this. You you aren't that special. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have this right. I I was mentioning to Spencer, even David Beckham, who's like one of the biggest celebrities that can be over there. Mm-hmm. Waited 12 hours in line. And I don't even know if he got to SAR. It might have shut down by then. Mm. right? But 12 hours for him, too. And it's like, you can't just approach the queen in any way. right? There's mm. there's a plan to how it should be done. And she sets some of that. Some of that's from tradition and their thing. But this is how it should be. But yet, oftentimes when we approach God, who I think we need to be reminded is much greater than the queen, mm-hmm. much greater than any king that would be on this earth or anything like that, to have the audacity for us to think, I can do what I want, mm. is pretty astonishing. Now, where do you guys think that comes from? Do you, I mean, I have some ideas, and I know that maybe I've thought of it, and you guys haven't. Some of the ones just proposing the question. But um, where does that mentality come from? I would say this. So I don't want to put you guys on the spot. I would say it comes from how we talk about God with people so often. Mm. That he's this good father who loves you and cares for you and wants what's best for you. And it's all about you and you and you and you and you. And you you get this mentality, right, that he's just like this grandpa. Mm -hmm. And so I I can approach him in that way. But we forget about his holiness and his Mm -hmm. separateness or his wrath or uh, his grandeur how different he is from us. And because that's taught so often in that way, um, it's kind of like we've pushed him aside and not, we don't really see him for, for who he is. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, it almost be like, uh, and I know I'm talking a lot. It almost be like if, if Spencer all of a sudden became the president and I'm friends with Spencer and we're, when it's just me and Spencer in a certain setting, I get to call Spencer Spencer. Mm But there are certain settings where I need to call him Mr. President. Can you do that from now on? You already make me do that. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah just, just, just certain settings. But yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> because it's in a respect thing, right? right so if yeah, we're in right. a meeting with all these important people, and I'm like, Spencer, listen, that's wrong. He, he, he would have the right. Whoa. It's not Spencer. Mm. It's Mr. President. Right. And right. you can think about like when presidents, I think about um somebody like a, I don't know, like JFK or somebody who moves up and then you bring people that you've known beforehand Mm -hmm. into the presidency. Yeah. All of a sudden it is, it's not Jack anymore. (laughs) It's Mr. President, Mm -hmm. right? All the time. I do think a couple of things come to my mind about why possibly to explain some of this. First of all is the first commandment and the preface to the commandments. Uh, You will have no other gods before me. So I think there is the reason we, we, uh, struggle with the second commandment is because we have misconceptions about who he is in the first commandment. And um, one of the words that comes to my mind is, um, well, whenever you watch, I mean, we talk again about, I think the Royal stuff going on right now is very helpful actually for us to think about this. Um, When you approach the queen, they were talking about how whenever presidents would come and see her, they would be intimidated by her. Mm. And that there was certain protocol that whenever you entered her presence, you had to do things and they would mess up some, right? And whatever. But um, the whole idea of protocol is to emphasize the fact that this is a set apart person, a separate person. This is not your equal that you're approaching. 
And similarly, whenever we come into God's presence, he is not our equal. And so there is a certain protocol that is demanded of you whenever you come into his his presence. I'm reminded, too, of whenever um, Alistair Begg was preaching through um, uh, the, the book with... Uh, First uh, and Second Samuel, and there's a section whenever it says that Hushai was the friend of the king, and one of the things that we often will say is, "Well, Jesus is my friend." Yeah. And actually, one of the things he points out is that it's actually whenever whenever David would look at who at uh, is it Hushai, right? Yeah, he would say, "That's my friend," but whenever Hushai would look at David, he would say, "That's my king." Mm. There wasn't this wasn't a relationship of equal friends. Mm. It was. It's a privilege to be counted as a close, um, a close um, friend or a close ally of the king. But this is not a relationship of equals. And similarly, that's what it means for us to be Jesus's friend. It's not that we're on an equal plane with him, uh, but he is our king, and he's brought us into a close, loving relationship. Mm-hmm. One other thing, and then I'll let Dave talk. But then also, I think there is a as um, part of it too. Is then people like whenever you read a lot from the Old Testament, Tim, uh, yesterday. One of the uh, gut reactions we have today is, but that was the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's actually this hidden idea, uh, which was an early church heresy, that the Old Testament God is different from the New Testament God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're in the New Testament. It's the age of just, you know, love and freedom and kindness. And God doesn't do those things anymore. He did it for those people because that was the Old Testament. And um, in the book we're getting ready to do for the class on the Old Testament, he uh, Alec Mater says at the very beginning, if you were to go up to Jesus and say Old Testament, he would say, old what? You mean God's word? <laughs> and then that's, uh, mm-hmm. that actually is helpful for us because um, we have some idea, I think, that God's changed. And while we're right, we don't follow the ceremonial law, he hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is still a protocol to follow mm-hmm. in approaching him. He still is different from us. Yeah. And he is still grand and holy and he's a royal God. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that's just highlighted in worship. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think to your question, Tim, you know, um, why, do, why do, why is this separation or why is this so difficult? Because I think even culturally we have, we have, we're so far removed from just the idea of reverence and authority. I mean, we're seeing now this entitlement culture, you know, where, you know, where, where before it was like just the structures in place, government, police, fire, you know, the social services, whatever. And we're seeing such a, a, a reaction, a push against that. And that comes into the church, you know, where it's like, oh, you know, God is, I can just, like you said, I can just come in and just, you know, it's all about just me and, and my needs and all that. And I think that, and that's why we're so far removed, like watching the queen, you know, in this whole, this whole past week with, with everything and like the words kingdom and realm and sovereignty. Those are, those are words that we just don't have in our vernacular in our culture today. And I think that's part of why it's such a struggle. And so, this, your sermons have been excellent just to help kind of reframe that God is love. God is our Father, but He's holy, and He's sovereign, and He's in control, and we're not. <laughs> and that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought the best way to go about answering this question, does God care how we worship, was to start kind of at the beginning, as Spencer said, I yeah. went, went to the Old Testament. But I wanted us to see first that God is a God of order. 
that God has set up order. And part of the reason I do that is because there definitely is a hint of Baptists out there who would push against order in worship services. They would say having a worship order is against the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You need to just let the Holy Spirit guide and direct you as you go. As And, and my fight against that is you're kind of saying then that God is not a planner. <clears throat> like God does not, right. God doesn't have any sort of order or set up plan. Yet we would preach that God has a plan for all eternity. He knows the beginning and the end, all this stuff. And so to act like it's not a holy thing to have a plan or order is definitely wrong. And we see that in Genesis. I mean, when God created, he created with order. Mm-hmm. He created a morning and an evening. He, he created light and darkness and the separation of it. He creates the sun and the stars, right, and, and the moon. And he sets all this. He, he separates land and water and all these different things. There's, there's order to it all. And, and my point, you know, when you look at math and science, the reason that stuff works is because of order. God created order. Right, um, and so we must recognize that, and we see that that order continues not just in His creation, but then in His relationships that He builds within creation of marriage and children and uh, work and government and all these things that we see. So there's there's an order to it to follow, and then as you continue through that, and you get uh, past Egypt, and God redeems Israel out of Egypt, and He gives them the law, more order. This is how your society should work. If you're going to be my people, this is what you should do. And some of the things we would read in the law, we don't like reading it because it's boring. And we're like, oh, my gosh, this is so minute. Look at what he's going into. It's like, yeah, because he cares about the particulars and the order. It's very very important, right? Leviticus, case in point. (laughs) Yeah, and you're talking about all of life. And so that's where I tried to separate it. Like, look, in your private worship, this matters. God cares how you worship privately because look at how he told them to live. And a lot of our private worship is how we live, how we glorify God. And so he He told them what to do with animals and how to deal with work and how to deal with neighbor. And if, if your animal kills this animal of your neighbor, this is what needs to be done to restore the relationship and to fix it, right? And so this is how you're going to worship well privately in your life by glorifying me is obeying these commands. But he also then tells them how to worship, right? He sets up festivals. He sets up the Day of Atonement. He sets up the sacrificial system. He sets up washings and cleansings. And this is what the sacrifice should look like. It should it should be spotless. It needs to be purple, blah, blah, blah. He goes on and on and on and on. Very detailed to the point to where when I read it, I think the last part of the tribe I would want to be is Levite. Mm. I don't know if I could do all these. Mm-hmm. I'd be scared to death all the time, right, mm. of all the rules and stuff that had to be followed. And you can look at it and say... Ah, it's just so picky. And again, and say, that's just Old Testament. No, it's God laying down his order. And he's the same God today. It wasn't like when Jesus came, it was like, all right, free for, free for all now. Mm-hmm. Guys, just do everybody do what you want. All the roads lead to me. No, no. And so this order still remains. And I, I really wanted to read, I did read in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and 12, uh, because at the end of those, at the end of those chapters, uh, Eleven dealt more with like your your personal your personal life, but at the end of chapter eleven, he says, "You shall be careful to do all the statutes and rules that I'm setting before you today. Do it all." And then in Deuteronomy twelve, he gets more to public worship. He's talking about like how public worship should be done, and at the very end, in verse thirty two, he says, "Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it, 
Yeah. Don't do more. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't go be more pious or whatever. But also don't do less. Mm-hmm. Don't be lazy. Do everything that I'm telling you exactly. I don't want you to do anything extra or anything less. And again, that's the same God that we worship today. Mm-hmm. Uh and so I just wanted that in our minds as we at answer this question, does God care how we worship with a with a resounding yes, yes, he does. And we went to some examples in the Old Testament of false worship and what that looked like. Uh, and I failed to mention, I should have mentioned the example of false worship in the New Testament with the husband and wife who sold the property. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What were their names? I can't Priscilla. Aunt Priscilla. No, no, no. Ananias, that's, that's, Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Priscilla, yeah, I'm like, I know that's not right. That's not right. They're the good people. Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah. Ananias and Sapphira did false worship. They sold land. They gave it as if it was like a full thing. Is this really what you sold it for? Yeah, 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 yeah. Dead. You're lying. The wife comes in. Your husband said it was this. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. Well, well we just dragged your husband out and we're about to drag you out. That's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it was false worship. That's what they were doing. Yeah. They were lying. And later on in Acts, there's um, the king, is it is it Herod, who yeah. uh, is is uh, killed as well mm-hmm. because they uh, the people are praising him, the voice of a god and not of a man, yeah. and he doesn't give glory to God. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, he's, he's also killed mm-hmm. in Acts. Mm-hmm. So the consuming fire of the Old Testament is still consuming. Uh, he will be sanctified. By those who draw near to him, as mm-hmm. he says in, in Leviticus uh, chapter 10. Yeah, and you made the excellent parallel of like, was it Uzzah who touched the ark mm-hmm. and how he died? And then New Testament, people, you're like, you're like, people think, oh, that's Old Testament, you know, but then you made the parallel of, well, look at what Paul says in Corinthians. Yeah, yeah. with the Lord's You know, Supper, with right? how you abused that, and some of you are sick and some of you had died. So I thought that was really good because it, it kind of dispels that myth mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. it's two different guys or there's two, it's not, it's two different books even, you know. Sure, sure. So. Yeah. Yeah, when Jesus goes to the woman at the well and she's talking to him about worship, right? She's asking him about this. I want to know where we're supposed to worship. You guys worship here. And when Jesus responds to them, it's where I think a lot of people think, see, he's getting rid of all that structure. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of freedom here now Mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter where you worship. It's just just worship in spirit and truth. And I've even heard people say that, you know, as as like a reason to do whatever you want Mm -hmm. when you worship God. The problem is that truth word. You know, that that truth word is there, and it's like, well, how are you defining this truth? Mm-hmm. And the bad part is a lot of people define it in their own way of the, my truth. And we can't do that. As Christians, we don't have the right to do that because we have been given the truth mm-hmm. in the word of God. And we have to put base all truth through that, right? Uh, and so um, I can't say, like, in worship, well, this is truth for me, and this is how I'm worshiping God and praising him and glorifying him. It might not be truth for you, so you can't do it that way. And I wouldn't expect you to have to do it that way. Mm-hmm. That That is a foreign concept to Christianity. That's not there because we have truth that is truth for all, for all people. And and so we have to be careful not to get, not to get lost in that, right? We also don't want to go backwards and get lost in some of the Old Testament um, ways of worship that Christ has fulfilled that we don't do anymore. So for us, an example of that would be on the day we worship. 
right? There's people who would still claim Saturday is the day that you have to worship. That is the day of Sabbath. Uh, but we see very early on in the New Testament this Lord's Day, mm-hmm. which is on Sunday, when the church would gather together to remember Christ's resurrection, and they would worship him on that day, mm-hmm. right? And so that's the model that we follow. It's, it's different than what the Old Testament said, uh, but we see it's because Christ seems to have fulfilled the Sabbath, yep. right? Uh, and so now we have this worship of him, of fulfilling that. And there's others that we could that we could go through with the festivals and the Day of Atonement, right? We don't have the Day of Atonement atonement anymore we don't celebrate that because we don't we don't need a sacrifice he sacrificed once and for mm-hmm. all right um i don't want to go through all the festivals because i just make myself look dumb <laughs> there's a lot of them <laughs> yeah no i think though um that principle though of ceremonial it's it's kind of ironic in some ways because we may not follow the old testament ceremonies but we will create new ceremonies mm-hmm. to use and uh, paul calls those things the weak and beggarly elements of the world mm. Um, they were good for a time, mm-hmm. but because Christ has come now and um, we now have the substance, um, it would actually be to denigrate that coming, to re-engage in uh, worship that is overly ceremonial beyond what God has already instituted in the Lord's Supper. So there's a, spirit, a new element of uh, Christian worship, which is, I think, quite simple. Um, and only has two ceremonies as far as, uh, you know, visible, like baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, but yeah, I think that, I also think one of the things we don't consider often is, um, on the one hand, who we worship should impact how we worship, but also we forget how we worship impacts who we think we're worshiping. The medium does impact the message. Mm-hmm. And so if you are going to a church that worships one way, um, and it's the wrong way, um, you're actually going to find yourself having distorted views of God. You can't just say, oh, we know we're worshiping the one true God and how we worship doesn't matter. You're at, and and it's as long as we know we're all worshiping this, this God. But that's not true. How you worship is going to impact who you're worshiping and who you think he is. Mm-hmm. And that was true for Israel. Yeah, I would guess most Catholics would have a different view of God probably than a lot of Pentecostals yeah. right. in that yeah. because their worship, yeah. right. how they how they worship. Right. There's a lot of things in place and in order in the Catholic Church with yeah. meaning and purpose behind it. And with a lot of Catholics that I've talked to, God seems very distant. Mm-hmm. There is a separateness there. I think that's what they're saying sometimes mm-hmm. when they when they say that. Yeah. Right. But when you talk to like a Pentecostal, it's God is yeah. like right here in me. Right. You know right. what I mean? Right. The Holy like, Spirit spoke to me about yeah, this. Yeah. Right. There's like this right. special relationship. Mm-hmm. There there seems to not be much separating. Right. Separate, right. Separate, right. Um, so yeah, I think what you're saying is is good there, Spencer. Yeah. yeah. And it's a tough balance. Yeah, I mean, we want to balance but our inf- our problem, I think, definitely overall in America is that when for instance, whenever we hear that word spirit and truth, I think I could be wrong. Maybe you guys disagree. I think most people, whenever they hear that, they think that means as long as we're sincere mm-hmm. and as long as it's even in some ways, especially if it's spontaneous and driven by emotional zeal, that means that's what that's basically what Jesus is talking about. Mm-hmm. Spirit and truth. As long as it's sincere, it's zealous, and especially if it can be spontaneous. Yeah. Um, that mean that's what spirit and truth means, and mm-hmm. I think um, your 
you're bringing that verse up to kind of talk about no, it's spirit and truth um, is a helpful corrective because I think that's probably at least in some minds, maybe um, of what people think when they hear that verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so hard in our culture to combat that because. So, like an example I gave, which I, I might have angered some people. I, I don't know, but I talked about the second commandment. Clearly, says no images of me. Mm-hmm. But you get people who are creative and artistic, and they're mm-hmm. like, "I want to help my give my talent to the Lord," and so now I want to draw a picture of Him. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you can't do that. Yeah, but He gave me this talent and He gave me this ability, and it it makes me feel good, and it's my way to glorify Him and honor Him. And it's like. Yeah, but the second commandment specifically says, do not worship me in this way. Mm-hmm. And I think people just struggle with that. Like, yeah. that can't be right because it's in me. And and, yeah. and, and it's hard to tell them that. Yeah, they don't want to hear that. And they get mad and frustrated mm-hmm. about it. You know, it's like, well, you're stealing my worship. You're stealing my talent. And I'm supposed to give my talent to the Lord. It's like, there's other ways to give it to him. Mm-hmm. But not this way. You can't do it this way. You can't make his image. You cannot make his likeness. You are not supposed to do that, right? This is what he has declared and what he has decreed. And who are you to say that this is what is better? Mm -hmm. Because that's what's happening. Yeah. You know, and we all have to be careful with that uh, in our our life, uh, with our talents, with our skills, and with our abilities to make sure we're doing it again how God would have us do it. Right. And, and in that case in particular, with I know that that's a struggle for a lot of people. Um, but part of the big reason why God was doing that too is he is infinite yeah. mm-hmm. and outside of creation. Yeah. So the minute you try to capture who God is in a created form, you are therefore automatically starting to distort who he is. Mm-hmm. That's why he's, he's a God who speaks Mm -hmm. through an invisible word um, that you can't see. And he's Mm -hmm. put words in a book, but we don't have, we, we don't, we don't see God. Mm -hmm. He's invisible. That's because he's not part of creation. He's not Mm -hmm. made. He can't be trapped or confined. And so oftentimes when people will say things to us, right, you can't put God in a box. And well, in in some ways it's funny though, then whenever they make images, you, you are putting God in a box. (laughs) You're confining him. And also, I mean, well, I better be, I, I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> I, I was thinking, because I, I never really thought of it like this, but when we were working in, in, Deer, in Dearborn in Detroit and working with Arabic yeah. speakers, one of the conversations, you know, in, in dialogue and trying to build relationships with, with Muslims was like, you know, you Christians have all these pictures of Jesus. And they're referring to like the Catholic Church with Jesus on the cross and all these pictures. He's like, we can't do that in Islam. There's like, you cannot do a picture of Muhammad, right. their high prophet, or you can be right. in big trouble, right. if not worse. Right. And I never thought of it that way. And and then I thought about the first commandment, first and second commandments. And I'm like, yeah, we do that. We, we very much kind of just in our own ideas, you know, and I mean, even back in the Renaissance days in, in That's Florence, a great example. You know, yeah. and that was so, that was the art of the day. It was all religious focus and, and it was very much image based on Christ mm-hmm. and the disciples, whatever, you know. Yeah. So. That's a great point, Dave, too, with Renaissance, because if anybody, if anybody in the world could have made the argument, I am talented, mm-hmm. it would have been Michelangelo, yeah. Yeah. Leonardo, mm-hmm. But and, and we would say, well, they shouldn't have, you know, but I'm just saying like that that argument by itself um, 
doesn't suffice. You can use your your talents in other areas, but in this one way, you're actually going to be detrimental to your own faith, mm-hmm. and you're actually not going to be, bring glory uh, to God. Actually, God's glory is seen in the fact that he can't be seen. Mm-hmm. He can't be pictured. Um, and yeah. Anyway, I just think that that's a that's actually something we it would we would do well to recover. The only thing in Islam they do is they do the calligraphy of the Arabic. Yeah, they don't do any images of of God or Muhammad or anything like that. They just do this, you know, to kind of keep that reverence, which I find mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they're wrong because it's a false religion. But sure. interesting their perspective. Mm-hmm. We could learn. <laughs> yeah, as we move forward in the series on on the public side of worship of gathering together of what that should look like um it'll be hard to find in the new testament just like a structure of a worship service and so this is probably the debate and the discussion that has gone on for a very long time of how then do we worship when we gather together um because i think privately and within our family it's pretty cut and dry how we should do it you know Obviously, reading the Word is part of it in prayer with the family. But then in your life as an individual, as we've been saying, it's we give glory to God in everything we do. And so really every act can be a form of worship, of how we live and our attitude. And so we're always working on that. I don't think that's much mm. debated and, and fought about, yeah. right? But in the public realm of when we gather together as the church to worship him on Sunday, this has been hotly debated and fought about. And again, you can't go to a place that says, do this, 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 sing this song, this song, this song, this song, whatever it might be. But we are going to see principles laid out. And then I think when you factor in the rest of scripture and what the Bible says, who God is, again, his holiness, right? Um, Who is able to worship. I think that's a big one. So think about it. God is separated from us and he is holy. I don't have the right to approach him. So that tells me this. The Bible's very clear that not anybody can approach God. They don't have the right. They don't have the right. And when we start to look and see, well, who are these people who don't have the right? Sinners. Sinners do not have the right. Well, who's sinners? Well, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All right, we're in a pickle here <laughs> because nobody can worship God then. You're correct. That I would say that's the correct answer. But let's keep following this. But we see that God sent his only son into the world to die for sinners. Oh, okay. And because of that, those who, by his grace, through faith, trust in him and believe in him, now have his righteousness placed on them. We see this in Ephesians. We see this in other places, Romans, right? Okay. And because of that now, these people who have been saved by God's grace, called by God, have not just the right, but are told to worship him. Okay, so now we have a group of people who are supposed to worship him. So now just a quick train of thought as we're going through this. So then as we worship together, who should be the focus of our worship service? Well, first it needs to be God. But who would be second? What would be second in there? It'd be those who've been saved by God, the church. But what you see, and we'll talk about this more, I'm sure, in sermons ahead, what you see is you see many churches today focusing their their services of worship on the lost who actually don't even have the right to be there, don't even have the ability to worship God. And that's what we're catering around. Mm -hmm. That's who we're thinking about. Now, you know you're going to have guests. It's going to happen. 
But when you follow that train of thought in the Bible, biblically, you start to realize these services shouldn't be about them. It should be about God and who he is and his people gathered together to worship him, the only ones who are able to worship him. And our prayer would be that God in his kindness would take some of those outsiders who are within the walls that day and pull them into the inside by saving them by his mm-hmm. grace, open their eyes to the truth, right. but not by catering to them, by them seeing, I am so separated here. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what needs to happen. That's how mm-hmm. it needs to be planned. And so, again, it's, to a lot of people, that's a small little thing, right? But in... in I, again, you're not going to see anywhere, I guess, in the Bible. I guess I would fight with that, too. I would say there is. But where it would say your worship service should only be for the church people. I do think it actually says that. Mm-hmm. But you know what I'm getting yeah, at? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's been one of the fights that I don't think is even worth debating because it's so ludicrous to think right. that this is for the lost here. No, it's not. Uh, and so, again, that's just one little portion of this that is debated. Uh, obviously, we'll talk about preaching. We're going to talk about reading the Word of God in public worship because we do see that present in early worship. Uh, Romans talks about preaching. How are they to hear unless someone is sent, right? Unless somebody preaches mm-hmm. to them. The, the preaching and the power of preaching is very evident in the New Testament is what is used to share the gospel with people, what is used to uh, grow Christians, right? That's what they're called to do. Uh, double honor to those who teach, it says, mm-hmm. right? Timothy's told to do this on and on again. Uh, prayer, it seems, was part of a service, so we'll talk about that. Singing seems to be part of a service, and so we'll talk about that, right? And what that would look like then, mm-hmm. what it looks like now. Are we doing that right? Is it correct? Again, probably the most uh, hotly debated part, would you guys say? Yeah, I the mean, music part. Yeah, I think yeah. that's often, yeah. I mean, sadly, sermons are super debated now, like to yeah, where people don't even want to use the term preaching. Exactly. They want to say talk. Right. That's yeah. the big thing. Yeah. Or a conversation, yeah. right? Dialogue. And it's like, yeah. because preaching just sounds too Archaic. harsh. Yeah. You know? you know what? And again, this goes back to that, a royal thing. But whenever you are, whenever someone comes and they're a minister of the king or queen, they don't come just to have a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. They bring a royal decree. Yeah. And similarly, mm-hmm. That's what a pastor is called to do, is to represent the king. Mm-hmm. And so the tone of the message should be royal, mm-hmm. authoritative, not not just, what do you guys think? <laughs> you know? I mean, that's that's not what preaching is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, this is what the Lord has told us. This is what King Jesus says. Mm-hmm. And when I, it was interesting. When I was in seminary, I was serving uh, at a, like a, a Willow Creek seeker-sensitive church. I was at a, church, a big church. Um, as a college pastor, and I wrestle with this because I'm learning, I'm taking classes on, you know, on ecclesiology mm-hmm. and learning, you know, about about what the scriptures teach. And there's a dichotomy because I'm at a church where they they got rid of the 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 Wednesday night teaching service because the pastor wanted to focus all on the weekend services, the Saturday night Sunday morning service for the lost, and it was all catered to being seeker focus mm-hmm. let's mm-hmm. and so even the songs, the specials they would do were, were secular songs to kind of make lost people or seekers feel comfortable and they would try to it would tie into it would tie into the message or whatever topic he was mm-hmm. speaking on it was always called a talk it was never a sermon never preaching and i'm just like wrestling with this you know i'm like 
26, 27, so I'm young, wrestling mm. with like, I don't see that. And so to your point, that's a very trendy thing, you know, with the, since the 90s, this whole seeker-sensitive movement, you know, church growth movement, all based on catering to lost people rather than what ecclesia, the biblical word for church, is really all about, a gathering of mm-hmm. saints, gathering yes. of believers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's Old and New Testament. Yeah. They gathered to the mountain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You congregated at the days of the uh, festivals. To the temple. To the temples and to the place. The people got together at one locale. Yeah. But that makes sense. That strategy of seeking out and catering makes sense in our culture. In our culture, yeah. Think about how uh, companies do it. Mm -hmm. Verizon doesn't offer a deal to you who've been a member for a long time. Mm -hmm. They offer a deal to the new people. Yep. If you will switch, we will pay this, this, well, this, Well, that's not this. true. They said on the one commercial, everybody gets the same deal. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Or some one of those, one of those, uh-huh. one com- they, they tell you that. Or free trials happen. Yes. Right? right. If you're a new signee, mm-hmm. you get this. And But then the people who's like, I've been a part of your company for 10 years. What are you going to give me? Nothing. I just keep raising the bill. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just going to keep getting higher for you. And that's how then... A lot of churches approaches. Yeah. This is how we need to get new people in is we need to make it look pretty and valuable for them. But what is so dirty about that? It's like, yeah, but once you get apart, we don't care about you anymore. Mm-hmm. We're looking for the next people. The next people, yep. And the Bible talks very differently about the church. Mm-hmm. No, it's we care for each other, right? We love each other because of what God has done for us. We are in Christ together. And so being in Christ we care for each other, and by this is how then they will know that you are mine, is how you love each other and care for each other. It's it's very opposite, but but our culture just teaches something very different. And so, again, churches have latched on to that. You know, the marketing strategies and this is because mm-hmm. we they want to survive. The church wants to survive, mm-hmm. uh, and they need money to survive. They need people to survive. And so how can we get this in here? Because these people I'm talking to each week aren't giving more. Right, and so I've I've got to do something. We got to mm-hmm. do something. So let's think of the strategies to do it. Now, some I think may ho- hopefully went at it with the correct heart, though at least, mm-hmm. and they do have a passion for the loss. Sure, they want to see them come to know the mm-hmm. Lord. Um, but again, they've went contrary to how God has ordered us mm-hmm. to worship. Yeah, and what is hard is people will say, "But look at all the good it's done." That's what people say. Mm-hmm. And that that's difficult because it's like, yeah, but it's out of order from God's word. And so is it really good? Mm. Again, go to the artist. It makes me feel so good, though, when I paint God. Mm. Or I said a statement this Sunday that you shouldn't be taking Lord's Supper at home. The, the, the New Testament's constantly when you gather, do this. Mm-hmm. There's no individuals doing it. It's when you gather to do this. But you might say, yeah, but when I do it at home, it makes me feel so good. It's like, well, that good feeling isn't coming from the Lord because it's out of order. Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to be mean to you. I'm just trying to right. be very honest. This what we're, this whole conversation yeah. just reminds me again of, of uh, my, again, my heretics class. But they said, once somebody said Gnosticism is the American religion. Yeah. And part of Gnosticism is it doesn't, external stuff doesn't matter. It's whatever's inside me. Yes. Yeah. And also what that means then is that's all, that all goes against any kind of external church, other people. As long mm-hmm. as I feel good about it and I'm sincere internally, I'm just as fine doing everything at home, yeah. whether or not I come here. It, it, and, and then mm-hmm. the only blessing that comes to is 
I'm here to bless you because I showed easy, up. There's you know, such an easy argument to that. It's like, tell that to Jesus. Right. When he's in the garden praying. Right. If there's any way for this cup to pass, yet Jesus' externals don't matter. Right. So don't go to the cross. Right. We know you're sincere about it. And Thank that's, you. And that's exactly what the Gnostics said. <laughs> I right? know. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and yeah. I think, I don't, and I again, I don't want to say everybody's motives and everything, but I just think that's something we have to be aware of. I have to be aware of that. Yeah, yeah. me too. Um, we all do. Absolutely. Um, because the reality is, is no matter who we are, that's the water that we, are, that's the air we breathe and the water we drink in our culture it is. Mm-hmm. right now. And so we just have to be really aware of that. Um, yeah, because every week when I get up there to preach, it's easy for that to be sinful of how I do it and approach it, right? My motive in it, mm-hmm. my attitude sure. in it, all that stuff. And I'm sure I fail at that often. Um, but that's something that I have to deal with. And it's like, God, this is an external that you want done. Uh, but right now I want everybody to like me. So right. I'm going to do it this way, mm-hmm. you know, or right. I'm really angry right now. So I'm just going to beat everybody to death right? because I, this is how I feel at this moment, you know, and mm-hmm. that's sinful then on my part. And it's worship out of order. Sure. Is what that would be. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, mm-hmm. just trusting, though, and I and I think that's a great illustration because all three of us have preached. And whenever you go up to preach, um, yeah, there's sin in your heart mm-hmm. and in your mind. You're not a saint, perfectly sanctified person yet. And yet God uses the external words that are coming out of your mouth and the words that you read from the Bible to build up the people of God to save sinners and that's the wonderful thing about um, public worship is we see what's going on with our eyes uh, as far as we hear it with our ears. We, we see the Lord's table. We see baptism. Um, but God uses that external stuff to produce internal results mm-hmm. through, the, through the preaching of the word, through baptism and the Lord's Supper. He, he converts, and through baptism and the Lord's Supper, he strengthens uh, believers. Um, he upholds us, and that's the. I think the thing is, is um, these things that may seem small, and you brought that up, Tim. Is these are these are visible things, but God uses them in the hands of God. They're tools in His hand. Um, the old writers would call those means of grace, means by which tools by which God calls and strengthens His His people, and that's a wonderful thing. Despite our sin, mm-hmm. He overcomes it all and and uses it for gracious purposes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hopefully uh, you're looking forward to the rest of the sermon series. I I know I am. Next week is going to be on uh, private worship as well as family worship, kind of combining those two together. So we're we're looking forward to that, of what does that look like in our life. Um, We've talked about it some, about living your life faithfully as a Christian, as God calls you to, as you go about your things. But uh, I think what will come out in the sermon as well is also that time that you get alone with God of prayer and reading the word and meditating on the word or that time that as a family you sit and purposefully are reading the word of God together, teaching your children, praying with your children, whatever it might be, uh, that those are good, helpful, needed things that actually in the Bible we are told to do and encouraged to do so that we can be more like Christ in our life. And so hopefully you'll be here for that. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Uh, If we don't see you before Sunday, we hope that you have a blessed week. God bless.